started here. Good morning, everyone. Let's uh, pray as we get into our text this morning. Lord God, thank you for uh, bringing us here once again. Um, always a joy, Lord, to uh, present your word. Please uh, help me, help us to interact, help us to learn. Uh, Lord, convict us, Holy Spirit, of maybe any impatience that we may have. Lord, work in our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when was the last time uh, you went to the doctor? Maybe you were sick, and the doctor gave you some prescriptions for medicine. Or he told you that you have to change this about you to be more healthier. In our study in the book of James, uh, he's going to give us some prescriptions for patience in this sick world. Remember, it's a world of war for wealth, and we're called to be wise. And part of that wisdom is patience in the trials. James is going to share some pictures for us to learn how to be patient. He's going to also give us examples to consider when we are going through times of suffering. And so let me recap some lessons I think will be very helpful for us as we dive into our text this morning. If you remember, thinking wisely about trials from verses 2 to 4, one of our first lessons We are told to have the right attitude about trials. What does he say? Consider it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. We're also there told to have the right approach. Uh, If you remember, having the right approach is understanding we endure trials because there's a good purpose for trials, right? God is not just letting us go through trials for nothing. No, he has a good purpose. So we have that right approach. And then our aim Uh, Our aim is to submit to God's will. It's so easy to just run away when the trials come, but God say, no, no, submit to me, I will be with you. Then we talked about that main verse in James 1, verse 12, about blessed endurance. And we looked at four key words, if you remember. uh, The word blessed, uh, it means you're in the best position possible. Even though you're in the trials, you're blessed. And then it talks about being approved, right? It means you've passed the test of life. We also mentioned to receive. That that word was key for us because God is going to give us a gift. What was that gift? Crown of life, right? Eternal life. We're promised because those who love him, God promises to those eternal life. Everyone who perseveres. And then last week we spoke about thinking wisely about wealth. Remember there... uh, we, we mentioned rusty riches and uh, the righteous response. The rusty riches was about how wealth is just foolish, right? It's fleeting. It's fierce. And, and those who uh, hoard or steal, they're going to be judged. And then righteous response, how are we going to react to such an injustice? We are going to actually pray and love our enemies, even if they mistreat us in their pursuit of greed. And so we're going to see how this connects to our passage this morning because James starts with therefore, right? And so why does he say therefore? Well, he has in mind what he was just talking about when he was talking about the judgment that's coming upon the rich. And even though it's an injustice, God doesn't just look the other way. He hears the cries of his people. So let's get into our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, James chapter 5, verse 7. We'll go verse by verse today and uh, chop it up. So James chapter 5, verse 7 starts, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, 
being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. And so in this verse, we're going to see uh, this main imperative, right, to be patient. That's going to be the focus for our text, uh, or, or this prescription from James from experiencing so much injustice uh, by the rich or unjust unbelievers. He's going to also give us an illustration or a picture to, co- uh, to consider what patience looks like, all right? So I don't know if you're a little impatient sometimes. I think this is going to be um, relative uh, for us today and for us to learn. So let's discuss the imperative first. Uh, this is the first of seven in this passage, and it's very crucial. James is calling us to be patient, right? That word for patience is similar to endurance. It should remind us of that blessed man uh, who perseveres under trial. In the midst of trials, what is James calling us to be? Patient. Now this, let's be honest, might be the last thing we want to do when we're going through suffering. Patience in the suffering? What do you mean? I want the suffering to be over. But no, uh, God isn't saying we're going to be having this everlasting patience. What does he say? Until the return of Christ. And, And so James, he's aware that God has heard the cries of his people and, and so he knows and he says, Christ is coming soon, right? The Messiah is coming soon. And so given that fact, yes, we can be patient. And so the return of Christ is not the only reason we can be patient. He gives us an illustration here. He says, behold, right? That word, uh, it's not here in the NASB translation, but it's there in the Greek. Behold the farmer. And he used that key word. If you look at verse 4, in chapter 5, behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields. And so we have a similar um, illustration about workers of the field, right? But this time it's a farmer. And so the farmer, what does he have to do? He has to be patient. He has to wait for what? The produce of the soil, right? It's very precious, valuable to him. Why? Because his life depends on it. His family depends on that there is a crop, because if there isn't a crop, there isn't any money. If there isn't any money, you can't feed your family. And so James reminds us yet again of that key word there. He says it three times, first time in verse 7, and second time here in the middle of verse 7, being patient about it. And so just picture farmers, right? Uh, This one, uh, there wasn't that much rain, so uh, the crops kind of got messed up there. Um, Picture a farmer. He's not going to go and grab Uh, the crops out of the soil only after a couple of weeks. I I don't know if you guys like gardening or you got some, you know, uh, plants at home. But after one week, you're not like, get that food out, get that pepper, I'm ready to take. No, you have to wait, right? You have to be patient. And so this is a a very good illustration for us um, because we have to wait until that fruit goes through this cycle of maturity, right? First, it has to go through these early rains, if you read the text there. Uh, early and later rains. It's referring to the fall rains, right? It generally um, starts with the series of thunderstorms by early November. Um, and so why is it that those early rains are so important? Well, after a hot summer, it needs to soften the soil for plowing and sowing. And so a serious delay of these rains means bad crop. And let's be honest, if, if there's no rain, guess what happens? No crop, right? We know that. Um, and then we have Uh, the rains in December through February, but then we have later the spring rains, right? Uh, This is during late April and late May, and why are these rains important? Because 
it's during a time of warmer temperature. And so uh, the crops are going to mature. And, and the more rain there is during those times, the better for that fruit, uh, for that potential yield. Now, one observation I want to make from this illustration that James gives, uh, gives us is that the farmer needs to depend on God for the rain, right? He can't just make it rain. He needs to depend on God that he will provide. And so that is what James is trying to communicate to us. In the trials, what do we have to do? Depend on God. One way we can know we're depending on him is if we have this attitude of patience. We endure knowing he is coming soon. Just like the rain is, is going to come soon from the farmer, right? He has to wait, but he knows it's coming. The same way for us, we know Christ is coming soon. Now, another observation from this text. Uh, we could relate to the farmer, but if you really think about it, it should remind us of God's patience, right? We can easily get to a point where we say, where's God? Why hasn't he dealt with this injustice? What is he doing? We're going through all this suffering and trials and pain, and where's God? Well, guess what? God will do something about it, but we know God is patient. He has purpose in the trials. And so like the farmer, God will not rush the process of maturity. All right, any questions or comments? I'm just going to get a water bottle. Any questions or comments here? Yes, we are going to get to Job. Oh, wait, you said Job or Joel? Joel. Um, well, no, I, so yeah, that one is more prophetic. It's probably talking about judgment here. Um, the focus of the text is just an illustration of patience. Um, but yeah, I see where you can maybe correlate it a little bit. Because uh, there is going to be judgment coming, uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far to say this is a cross reference to Joel. Um, usually, I would only do that if you know the person writing it, like if Jane said, "All right, in this verse or in this scripture, uh, Joel, um, you know," and he gives that illustration. So I I'm very uh, careful with the cross references. But good 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 idea though. Uh, anyone else here? Anything about patience? All right. Oh, Bob, yes. Mm. Exactly. I think that's what James is getting at. So, yes, you have to have joy in the trials, but if you don't have patience in the trials, you're not going to be able to have joy in the trials. And so it's almost like he's uh, finishing up this inclusio of, all right, how are you supposed to think during trials? Joy, but patience. They go hand in hand, and we need both. So, yeah, very good thought. All right, let's continue here. Look at James 5, 8. He repeats himself. You too, be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. And so he gives us another imperative here and uh, another illustration, which we mentioned already, but we're going to probably chop it up a little bit more here. So he says you too, right? We know God is patient. We know the farmer is patient. He has to be. Uh, but what about you? What about the audience of James? Are they being patient? Now, James, he gets it. Persecution is no laughing manner, right? No one wants to get mistreated. No one wants to go through all these trials of, of pain. 
But he reminds us we need to be patient. And he not only repeats the command for us, but he also reminds us why. He gives us a reason why we can be patient. And so before we tackle that illustration, uh, think about this imperative here. It says, strengthen your hearts, right? This, one, this one's really important for us. Uh, he recently just mentioned uh, the heart when talking about the greedy who have fattened their hearts for the day of slaughter. And so it's, it's interesting because that text also has in mind the return of Christ, but in, in more scarier terms, right? He's going to come in and slaughter uh, the greedy, the unjust. But in our uh, context, in this uh, verse, when he's saying strengthen your hearts, it's in the context of endurance, right? Of people who are suffering. And so true believers need a heart that is strengthened in tough times. Now, the word for strengthen, it has this idea of being firm, right? Fixed on the truth. And so let me ask you this question. Um, how do we strengthen our hearts? How can we strengthen our hearts? Right here, James is just telling us, strengthen your hearts. But how would we practically? Yeah. Beautiful. And, and we can do the same when we're uh, in the midst of a trial or whatever temptation, whatever it is, mm. that we, we take the time to, to go into the house, presence of the Lord in, with thanksgiving and offering him praise and worship and, and et cetera. <laughs> Good. Anyone else? Yep. Intense pressure under suffering, under difficulties, like whenever there's a trial or tribulation and you overcome, then your, your life Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and like James said, um, you know, the trials will produce endurance, uh, steadfastness. So, yes, it's, God has a purpose with them. Very good. Oh, Ephraim and then Diana. Yep. Okay. Doing, being active, you're saying, as a believer. Okay. Last one. Yes. Oh yeah. Fertilizer, yeah. Mm. But how we gonna, what we gonna do? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have to go deep in my Lord. Yeah. I have to have a good relationship with my Lord, and I wanna be dependent on uh-huh. the Lord. Of course. Yeah. So very similar to what Ephraim was saying. We gotta be active. Yeah. I'll give you one more, Barbara. Yes. Of course. I I think James is gonna get to that in a second. You're not alone in this fight. You have other brothers going through the same fight. So yes, very good things, guys. Um, so in this time of op- uh, oppression, we have to say no to a simple response and say yes to an attitude of stability, right? We don't run away from our problems. We face them. We understand that God is at work in the trials. And so what do we do? We fix our eyes on Jesus and we keep going. We remember who's in control and we tell ourselves, you're a child of a of, the king of kings, right? He has you in his hand and he'll never let you go. And we know that he is coming soon. And so that really is what should encourage us is the return of Christ. And that's what really is going to strengthen your heart, knowing he said he's coming back and we can trust that he's coming back. 
And so ask yourself, when was the last time you meditated on the return of Christ? James reminds us here that it is near. Look at the end of verse 8. For the coming of the Lord is near. Now this word is the same word he used in James 4, 8 when he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so what is it talking about here? It's, it's a promise that Christ is coming back and it's going to happen soon. Now, uh, I put here uh, a picture of a storm and, and you guys know during certain storms, the storm's coming, right? You see it from afar. And, and then when it comes, you know, I saw that coming, right? You knew it was coming. Well, we know uh, Jesus gave us some warnings, right? Rumors of war. And if you look at Matthew 24, um, you know that the end is near. It's, it's coming soon. But we know it's going to happen. Now, there are many uh, that might be thinking, but it's been 2,000 years. When is Jesus coming back? It wasn't during the lifetime of, of the audience of James. So how did this help them? But we need to remember that their work was not in vain. They didn't uh, just not trust in God for nothing. No, they, they trusted God, and it got them through the fight. Remember, they're blessed for persevering under trial. They received the crown of life. And so that same promise is for us. So many times we can get impatient and say, well, we make these demands. We're very selfish and say, ah, the return of Christ has to happen during my lifetime. We, we think, uh, you know, uh, God owes us to return during our time because it's just too hard right now. But back then in the first century, it was really hard then too. So um, we need to keep in mind what uh, Peter says. Uh, if you have your Bible, 2 Peter 2, just a couple uh, pages to your right here. 2 Peter 2, verses 8 to 9. Some good wisdom here in thinking about the return of Christ and, and to think wisely about uh, his coming. So look here, 2 Peter 2, verses 8 to 9. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so when we think about the return of Christ, may it not discourage us, but rather encourage us, motivate us, because he is coming back soon, and we can do so many good works in the meantime. And, and, and we know um, what he said is going to happen, so we can trust in that. All right, a little press for time today, guys, but we're going to try to eat away. So look at James 5.9. Uh, James 5.9. It says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged, Behold, the judge is standing right at the door, in the Greek doors. Um, and so what do we see here? Another imperative, another illustration. Now, let's be honest, guys. When the going gets tough, what happens? We start to play the blame game. When everything seems to be wrong, well, who did that? Whose fault is it, right? And so he is going to warn us about this. Um, and so what does he tell us? He tells us, do not groan or sigh against one another. Your Nasby there translates it. Do not complain. Any complainers here? Am I the only one? Uh, well, we get a reminder here that James is warning us about that sinful tongue, right? He hasn't just let go of that topic. It's, it's still here throughout the end of this letter. We ought not to speak uh, against one another, right? James 4.12, or judge hypocritically. But we're also not to lash out on our brothers when everything seems to be going wrong. 
right? We're tempted to just start to point the finger. When we're mistreated, sometimes we start to mistreat others because it might feel, might feel a little better about the situation. Uh, I don't know if you did that when you were little, uh, but whenever my parents got upset at me, I was automatically upset at my little sister, right? Um, that's our sinful nature, right? We need to be careful because it still happens as adults, right? When something, gets upset, uh, something goes wrong, you start to get upset at your wife. You know, the easiest person to target, right? Because they're right there. So we need to be careful. Um, and one other example, a biblical one. In the book of Numbers, in the wilderness, who were the people of God or Israel, who were they getting mad at? Moses and Aaron, the leaders, right? It's your fault that all the people are dying out here. And so God gets angry uh, because of their grumbling, um, and so we need to be mindful uh, that God will judge those who are in this business of complaining. Uh, and so, rather than taking it out on your dear brother who Christ died for, we need to repent of that uh, anger or that um, groaning, just getting really mad at one another. Um, and, and rather than being divided and angry, we, we need to be united during mistreatment, right? We need to be united and we need to stop the sinful speech, and he gives us a reason and a picture uh, to think about uh, how we ought to stop this sinful speech. Now, the reason there, if you see in verse 9, there's a so that statement, right? Very important. So that you will not be judged. And so this is a reminder that God disciplines those he loves, right? God um, wants us to be praying for one another, not fighting. And so uh, when we understand that we're in this fight together, right, we're part of the same body of Christ, um, we're going to be able to love one another and, and rather than get upset and mad at, at a brother in Christ um, and playing the blame game, we're going to be able to go through the suffering together. Um, and so we're going to be people that ask for forgiveness and reconcile. And so uh, we're talking about uh, this illustration here, and I think it's really important to think about the judge, right? Many times we, we obviously, we ought to think of God as, as love, and we're reading the gentle and lonely book, and he's gracious and all that, but we can't forget he's also a judge, and a loving judge, a judge that cares for his people and their holiness, right? He didn't just save us so we can continue in our sin, right? He saved us so we can be sanctified, and we can be image bearers that reflect the beauty of Christ, and so as a believer, as a Christian, uh, we need to remember there is a judge, right? And, and God is our judge, um, and he is ready to discipline anyone that disobeys him. Now, this word here, uh, standing right at the door, um, I mean, we could, we have some doors here, so it's easier to think. Like, you know, when you see someone come through doors, they're right there. So, so picture that. Uh, there's this judgment hall, and the judge is standing right at the door. Jesus, he used that similar language, uh, in Matthew 24, 33, when he was talking about the return uh, of the Messiah, right? He, he pictures this fig tree, and its branch uh, was tender, and it put forth its leaves. That's how you know that the summer is near. And so Jesus is saying, uh, when all these rumors of wars and all these signs happen, then you know Jesus is near, right? And, and we can relate to this a bit. Uh, the leaves recently, right? They've been falling. Anyone picking up some leaves? Um, we know that the winter's near, right? Winter's coming. And so 
we understand that that's how close the judge is. The judge is near um, and he's ready uh, to save and destroy, James tells us. Now, this should really make us think. If we're not living a life that honors the Lord, what makes you think he won't judge you? He won't discipline you? He has every right to. And so the next time you're ready to blame a brother, get upset at them for really, they didn't do anything, remember who's listening. Remember who stands right at the doors. All right, you don't got time for questions, so let's continue here. Look at chapter 5, verse 10. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And so again, James gives us this example of godly people who endured, uh, which are the prophets of the Lord, and they were the ones that were truly patient in trials. And so he's going to give us some examples here to consider. But I want you to look at the next imperative. Maybe you glanced over it. If you see here in verse 10, it says, as an example, brethren of suffering and patience, here's the imperative, take or receive the prophets who spoke. And, and so we ought to um, really let the word of God of the Old Testament, of the prophets, um, what took place in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, all these different um, pictures of people who endured until the end, right? These were faithful believers, and we ought to uh, understand what they went through. And so we really are motivated here to um, be in the Word. And so here's a good example of, of patience, right? I'll give you a couple of prophets, but one that comes up to mind in Hebrews 11.24 is, is Moses, right? He refuses to be called Pharaoh's daughter. He uh, rather chooses to endure ill treatment um, rather than enjoy the passing sinful pleasures. And how does Moses endure? If you read in Hebrews 11, he considered the reproach of the Messiah greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And for he was looking to the reward, all right? So he had his mind set on what was to come. And so even though he had to go through uh, ill treatment, he even, had, even though he had to have patience in the trials, he was saying, it's okay, the reward is coming soon. I know um, I can invest in the Messiah's return. And then it says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. And so ultimately, that's how we're patient in the trials. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and remember the promised blessing. What about Jeremiah? Anyone know that story? With Jeremiah, uh, he was hunted by men of his hometown, specifically because they wanted him to stop speaking in the name of the Lord. And then we have Daniel, um, who we know he was hated for his honesty and, and integrity. He was mistreated, but he trusted in the Lord, right? He was patient in the suffering. And so the audience of James, right, a Jewish audience, they would um, know all the stories of the Old Testament, and, and they would say, wow, God was faithful with them. God can be faithful with me as well. And so that should encourage them to keep going. And then we get another example, uh, but this one's more specific, right? We saw one in the plural, now we're going to see one in the singular. Look at James 5.11. We count those blessed who endured, who have heard of the endurance of Job, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. And so, uh, again, he wants us to behold something here, and that is the blessing of those who endure. Um, and he does this by giving us one more example. Now, uh, many times we can think of Job like 
this amazing guy. And he's great, don't get me wrong. But the focus here isn't on Job. The focus is on God, um, who got Job through his trials. So we'll see that in a second here. But let's consider uh, the first part of that verse um, about blessed endurance. Not only were the prophets blessed, but anyone who has endured to the end is blessed, right? We can always put the prophets on this pedestal and say, wow, look at the prophets. But all believers who are faithful to the end, they're blessed, okay? So let's not forget that. Now, uh, a connection here with the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, In Matthew 5, 10, verses 12, he says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult and persecute you and say false things or all kinds of evils. But I, but I want you to notice this. He tells them to rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted who? The prophets who were before you. And so you see the connection here uh, with James and um, the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus. And so I want to make two quick observations here. The first is, could it be that the audience of James, they are people that have been helping the widow the orphan, they're making the rich unhappy because they saw the orphan and the widow as easy targets to take advantage of. In other words, as believers do good for others, they're following God, loving others, they're going to automatically become a target, right? For example, let's say you're, you're a believer and you're evangelizing to someone and that person leaves their religion, the people in charge of that religion are going to get upset because now part of their, uh, you know, their benefit from their attendance um, is, is, you know, getting taken away. And so just think about that for a second. As believers, uh, you're going to be a target. As believers, um, people are not going to like you, right? And, and it's because you're preaching the truth. But that shouldn't stop you, right? That should not stop you even when people get mad when you expose some injustice on their part, we continue to preach the truth. All right, another observation I want to make is in the Sermon on the Mount, again, the reward is in heaven. So we read about many believers who endured in Hebrews 11 and throughout church history, but they didn't have a happy ending, right? Um, We learn about uh, how Peter was probably crucified backwards. We hear about all the believers, even Stephen in the book of Acts, who get martyred. They didn't seem to have a happy ending, but the promise from God was not exemption from persecution, but rather a reward in heaven. And so that should remind us of the crown of life they will receive, and that is eternal life, the greatest reward. All right, let's uh, move along here and talk a little bit about Job. Now, the Jewish audience would know Job right off the bat, right? They, they've heard of Job, and, and so he goes through one of the most difficult trials, yet he's supposed to have patience, even in that trial, right? What happens? He loses material possessions, his workers, his family. So that's a lot of emotional pain he's going through. But then he also suffers great physical pain with those sore boils from his feet to his head. Now, that is a lot of pain. I don't know if you ever got one of those boils or or just some type of itch that you just had to scratch. It was bad, right? And so this is a fitting example from James uh, because Job, what does he say in the midst of trials? Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. 
And so, again, James reminds us of this sin of speech, right? Uh, we need to be careful with our speech, even in the trials, right? We're not called to groan against one another, but rather we are to worship and pray to God. And that's what Job does in the midst of his trial. He says he tours his robe, he shaves his head, and he falls to the ground and worships naked from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. And so he blesses God in the midst of his trials. And, and it says there in, in Job 1.20, Through it all, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Job trusts God when everything is falling apart. Now look again at James 5.11. Uh, he reminds us that God has a purpose with the trials. If you look there, it says, um, and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. That word for outcome could also be translated to the end or to the purpose of the Lord. And so God has a purpose here with Job. And so during the trial, what does God remind him? I'm with you, right? And, and he humbles Job, and, and Job gets to hear from God. Now that's amazing. In the midst of a trial, you get to hear from God. And no, God doesn't answer all of his questions, but God reminds him that he is with him. And, and so uh, we can relate to this. When we're going through trials, let's be honest, we, we reach out to God a lot more, right? And so that's what Job is doing there. And he learns that God is a compassionate God. He is a God who cares, who can sympathize with us. Uh, and then the end of the story, we know uh, here it says that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. The Lord has compassion on Job. Uh, he blesses him uh, twofold, right? And uh, the, late, the latter days of Job more than his beginnings, right? So he ends up living a long, happy life. And he has many possessions and family. But that is just a taste of the heavenly blessings that Job will receive. And so God is the same God that uh, loved Job, um, and he loves us. And so when we're in trials, that's not to say that God is going to bless us with a long life, right? Um, but it's a picture of what is to come. All right, two quick things here about God's compassion. Number one, he teaches Job to trust him in the trials by reminding him of who he is and who God is, right? Job's a creature, God is the creator. Second thing is, he restores Job. The affliction doesn't continue, right? Job is able to witness many generations. Now, that's not to say that all believers will be full of days, but that's a picture for us to observe. And so, if we endure, if we're patient, God will bless us. And I'm not saying that the persecution is going to cease, but we are promised this eternal life of Christ. Uh, one last observation from this is, it's ironic, no? that James uses Job after talking about the rich people who are going to be judged. He's using a rich man as an example. So what does that remind us? It's not about the material possessions. It's about the hearts, right? Now, Job was shown compassion because of his love for God, not his money. Uh, but what about mercy? God showed mercy in the story of Job. How? If you remember his friends. God was very angry at them for speaking wrong about him. And so he was going to uh, smite them, but instead he tells uh, Job uh, to um, pray for them. And, and so they end up doing an offering, and, and God has mercy on them. And so that's another beautiful reminder that mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, uh, we've got to go to our last verse. We're almost done here. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, 
so that you may not fall under judgment. In this verse, we observe two more imperatives from James. We observe another connection with the Sermon on the Mount, and we're reminded of the theme of judgment. Now, James, he's very concerned for his brothers. He wants them to be blessed, not condemned. And so the first imperative, again, is to do with speech. He says, do not swear, right? This has to do with taking an oath that involves invoking the name of God to ensure the truthfulness of what one says. And so, again, with, with this uh, swearing, this oath, if you're an honest person, you don't have no reason to say, I swear by heaven, I swear by, uh, in, in, our, in our audience, I swear by my mother, right? We, we don't need to do that because we are honest believers. But if you're trying to do that in the Jewish times, they did that because they were really hypocrites. They were really lying. And so they would hide behind this oath and say, well, I swear by heaven. Oh, okay, so you can't be lying. You're swearing by heaven. Very religious, right? And so James is telling us, don't do that. And he reminds us of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven or by the throne of God or by earth or by Jerusalem, right? Nor shall you make an oath by your own head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So in other words, we're not God. We shouldn't be doing this swearing. Um, and it reminds us that those that are doing it are prideful, arrogant people who think they're in control. And so we need to think wisely about making oaths and not be these hypocrites. Now, we know what we're not to do. Do not swear. But we also see here James is telling us what we ought to do. And he says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. And so uh, very important here, uh, like J uh, Matthew 5.37 says, let your statement be yes and yes and no, no, anything beyond this is evil. And so we're called to be honest, consistent, and we're called to tell the truth to others. The temptation is going to be to lie and try to escape the suffering by uh, acting in a sinful manner and making these fake oaths. And so James is reminding us, stop the hypocrisy and start the humility. And we need to continue in love. We need to continue in um, righteousness and wisdom. Now he ends here with another so that statement, so that you may not fall under judgment. And we observe here the theme of judgment. Uh, throughout the book, James doesn't want them to be disciplined. He wants them to live holy lives and honor the Lord. And so he reminds them, you need to be wise. You need to um, do what's right. And, and we see the result of sin, that you're going to be disciplined. You look throughout the verses in James, God is a God who loves us and will discipline us if we continue in that sin. And so, as a reminder, we ought to uh, listen to these prescriptions of patience, right? Uh, think about it. With Ananias and Sapphira, uh, when they sin, the Holy Spirit, right? When they lie to the Holy Spirit, they died. And so let that uh, be a reminder to you, beloved, to stop with the hypocrisy. All right, uh, learn from these prescriptions of patience. Uh, next week, we are going to discuss um, the prescriptions and pictures of prayer, right? Praying and patience go hand in hand.